Yeah, that loud recording voice wasn't here uh, yeah, before. They just like reintroduced that. Probably a good thing that people know that recording is not being turned on silently. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, office hours, nineteen. Everyone, uh, we just did some math. Uh, I I got one hand, so let's do the let's do the, the time. Get those fingers up there, Lauren. Beautiful. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Beautiful. All right. Office hours, nineteen. We do this every uh, twelve p.m. on a Friday. Uh, happy to have you here. We got three amigos today. Um, you may hear some typing in the background. That's all deep into something right now, and same with Timothy. So we miss them very much, but uh, I'm glad that you guys showed up and uh, some interesting things to talk about today um, that have emerged partly this week, and then also just uh, something from uh, Nihal uh, as well too, which you know talking about how. Okay, I'll, I'll wait for that topic to go. Anyways, quick introduction, Tyler. Nice to meet you all. Uh, one of the creators of SpKI. Um, I guess I say this every week, but just love voice. That's when I were talking about it yesterday. It's like, if we were doing anything else, what would we be doing? We had like, I would be doing this. So I'm stuck. I'm stuck in a good way. Uh, <laughs> and that's, and that's uh, why I'm here. I love this stuff so much. And I see the potential, so much potential in language, how we can understand it and so much meaning. It's such a beautiful thing. And how can we use that to our, uh, to our advantage and to, to make a better world? So very excited to be here. Uh, anyone jump in. Sure. I'm Lauren. I'm the staff accountant and the admin here. I like to play with numbers and play with words and um, figure things out, crack into some projects here, work with some good people, excited to be here. Wow. Play with numbers and play with words. Mm-hmm. I really like that, Lauren. Cool. Cool. Nice. All right. Yeah. Hey, I'm Nihal, a uh, digital strategist here at Speak. Uh, so I do, I do everything from writing website copy to uh, writing our help guide, a lot, lot of writing, and uh, also just trying to find some focus in communication. Mm. Yeah, Nihal was just telling me, Tyler, can't have a, can't have something that's not live in your in your deck. I said, damn it, Nihal. I said, you made me sad. I didn't mean that, Nihal. I was just joking. But it, <laughs> uh, it is snowing right now, uh, which is not great, uh, to be honest. I was running outside in 27 degree weather, uh, you know, this week, and I don't like the turn that this has taken. So I'm glad to be warm in here with you guys and and chatting. A couple topics today. Um, one of the ones I guess I'll just set the groundwork for this before we continue, you know, continue on is this. Uh, so always exploring many things. And that, when you're building a software company, especially one that's partly visible, it's using AI, uh, it's growing, um, always get sort of approached by investors, equity firms, people who are looking to understand what you're doing, you know, how you're doing it. What do you look towards, you know, what does the future look, look like towards you, uh, for you? And, uh, I got in a conversation with one of these one of these firms, and the interesting part was like they're looking at basically ask for projections. What 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 is the what does twenty twenty five look like for Speak AI? And uh, you know, Lauren and I had done a bunch of work to put together some projections, and I remember looking at them and like, ah, looks pretty good. You know, it's you know, it's uh, it's uh, you know, I wouldn't even say aggressive, but it just seems realistic. It seems to make sense. And I was like, yeah, that feels good. Let's uh, share that. And uh, and then we we shared that with the team. And awesome, awesome group of people, very helpful and very supportive. I was like, yeah, you're going to need to amp, uh, amp up that growth. Um, I would vote, I don't know, Lauren, the exact calculation, but I would say about 12 times <laughs> the, the uh, projections that we had put in. And, uh, you know, through that process, learned a lot, learned about the, you know, mindset that, um, you know, a venture firm has, the way that they're looking at the world, the way that they're looking at getting their investment back, looking at growth. And just wanted to talk about that today with the idea of being, 
you know, what they, what they, you know, they're in their ideal, wonderful world is by 2025, a company like ours is making a hundred million dollars in revenue. And uh, I would just love to, you know, take a moment to talk about that. Maybe Lauren, you had some insights into how, how people put projections together, but just also just that mindset, how that changes your thinking of what we're doing and focus. And uh, yeah, just, a, it's just a, a hilarious and wonderful uh, way to like get your mind sort of stimulated partway through the week. So just wanted to make that a topic today. Um, so I'll let you guys, you know, if you have anything right off the bat, and then we can get into a conversation about that a bit. Yeah, sure. There's uh, lots of different mathematical equations you can throw together for a, a projection. There's the whole straight light thing where you just put on a percentage of growth and that's what's going to happen. There's also a linear uh, regression where you have like two different variables that all uh, have some sort of influence on one another. So like brief, uh, pretty basic example is the more money you put into advertising, the more revenue you're going to get from that. So kind of like the coalition or correlation between those two numbers. Um, but those are just, you know, equations that you put together. It doesn't really have a lot of bearing going on in the real world of how many people are out there who uh, want your service, how much money they have and the amount of time that they want to, you know, use your service for too. So there's so much more than just putting together like one little equation. There's now you got to get into like the psychology of people of what they think they want to spend money on and, uh, that's just becomes a matter of, you know, the relationship you build with all the different uh, people within the market, um, especially like in the, uh, the software market, the, uh, and the psychedelic market. So it's uh, fairly new, some very honest and very open people. So it's great to talk to them and get like an idea of where the market is going, but still it's, uh, uh, it's a lot of juggling. It's a lot of different people coming together and putting together numbers and uh, predictions of where the world's going to be going to in the next five years. And uh, yeah, there's a lot to, a lot to discuss, a lot of planning to do a lot of, um, I don't know, lots of thinking, lots of foresight. And uh, depends if you're good at foresight or not. I'm not really sure how you get good at it. I think it's more just, uh, making a prediction and waiting for it to happen. I was like, oh, I'm pretty good at this. thought uh, you read tarot cards. Ah, uh, that's just, again, <laughs> random random number generator, just random uh, calculations. Uh, so. And then, yeah. You know, how do you, you know, you've sort of come from an outside perspective where, you know, you've come into the team, you hear conversations like this, or you hear like, you know, like one of the things you'd worked in, I guess, a more, I guess, corporate environment where, um, you know, that I guess talk about, you know, uh, venture firms or investment are, probably weren't as common, but I know you've also sort of followed along in the culture. And part of the reason why you joined was the, the interest in exploring and understanding startups and software more. So I'd be interested to hear your thoughts, whether it's just in general or also you know, hearing fragments of what we're experiencing as Lauren Vatzel and I, when we get into meetings like this. Yeah. Uh, I'd say the number one thing that always strikes me is how, so it, it seems like a lot of VC firms and investors in general are so used to this kind of insane market um, at this point in time where, every other company is a unicorn, right? In the making <laughs> that it, sometimes you'll hear these valuations and it, it, it's, it's not for lack of ambition or lack of a growth mindset, but you hear these 
these uh, projections or these desired outcomes sometimes. And you're like, okay, but like how much initial kind of funding or investment would that actually look like, right? Like if, if you want 25X return, um, like what's that initial number that we need to kind of get that j- uh, jump start and growth engine going? So I, I think that's that's a very interesting thought because, you know, it's it's this is no one in particular, where, you know, that's that's like giving us a dollar and then asking us to make you a hundred dollars, right? So <laughs> it's um it, it it becomes tough uh, to to envision uh, until you're in the thick of things, I think. Uh, and and it brings up interesting questions in terms of where our focus should lie and. How, what, what's the quickest way to get to, to these uh, growth targets, right? Whether that's through just doubling down on the enterprise side of things, is it kind of building two separate streams of growth, right? On the consumer side, kind of self-serve model that we have going, or do we just hunt for larger proposals? Do we hunt for, you know, multi-million dollar contracts? Like, what does that, what does that look like, essentially? Um, yeah. Both with their pros and cons, obviously. Yeah. Well, yeah. I don't know if you were just before this, we were looking at uh, Batsel and I sent a couple of things in Slack, but we're looking at a, a province proposal or an RFP for, um, you know, a system actually very like ours. You know, it, it fit a lot of the check marks. Alone, I don't know if you looked at those documents yet, but when you look at the technical barriers, even like the business, um, I guess, checkpoints that you need to cross for that to be, I was, first of all, I got surprised that we got accepted for the RFP. (laughs) Like that was one. And then to see the documents that were required for that, like there's amazing, like you said, pros and cons with everything you do. And it's like, say it's a hundred million dollars is the goal. How do you, how do you break down that? Is that a hundred companies at a million a year? Uh, Now my math starts to fail in different, all the different scenarios of that, but very different ways that you can jump things. Or is it 500, 5 million people at 20 bucks, like 500,000 people. Like, you know, there's different law and I'm not sure if that math, I'm sorry. Um, But uh, you know, the, those are all different, very different things. And like, I I wonder is like, again, what, you have to have some realism, which is, you know, it's in- interesting. And just for a couple, you know, data points for my, myself that, I, you know, after I shared, you know, some of this stuff was like my, my, this is, it's a very, my mom works at a wonderful software company, worked there for a long time. They've been around for like 25 years. I think they have like 200 employees. They are not at a hundred million dollars in revenue. They're like in a legit massive market. And, uh, and that's like 25 years of a lot of people. And also talked about as they took on investment in their company, the growth expectations, and then also the challenges with it too. And one of the things that you see with enterprise is what you're going to get into, especially is like very expensive development, uh, which is pretty intense. And, you know, one of the things that I look at is as we move forward, like even today in LinkedIn, one of the big stories was this idea of like, basically all the big American firms are coming into Canada and just posting crazy jobs and just snatching talent from Canadian companies, Toronto, Waterloo, Vancouver, all this. So, you know, depending on how you're building the company and the requirements, if it's enterprise that you need data scientists or machine learning engineers or all of that, you're looking at a very expensive pipeline of growth to actually fund that as well as the security compliance, data storage, and all these different things. So that stuck out to me a lot. And then one other thing was this company Ada, which just became a Canadian unicorn. 
and they started in 2016 and just crossed 30 million, uh, 30 million in revenue. So they were closing about 100 K deals and they were actually starting to close some million dollar deals, natural language processing for customer service to reduce the amount of time that it takes to answer inquiries, which is amazing business at $30 million of revenue. They were valued at 1.2 billion Canadian. So if you look at the multiplier that's put on that business, it's massive uh, in terms of it. So if you were at $100 million in revenue deploying the kind of technology that Ada is or we are, their valuation, again, Lauren, my math would fail me, would be massive if they cross, if they got to $100 million in revenue. So just a couple of things that have like stuck out to me after that discussion. Lauren, I'm not sure if there's anything else you're thinking, but one of the parts you talked about was, you know, looking at, we, you know, there's a couple markets that we've looked at, one of them being effective computing, massive market, about $270 billion by, by 2027, natural language processing and then speech recognition. But you've had a challenge because you don't have these wonderful research reports that cost, you know, 7K USD to 25K USD. So just would love to hear a little bit about your thoughts on market sizing these projections, especially without some of the resources that you would like. Hmm. Well, it's just like the whole like total market. Uh, even then, like, I don't think we'd be able to address all of that. Like a large, large amount of that whole effective computer market is dealing with like hardware and all the hardware that goes along with like medical care and uh, the automotive industry. Um, so unless you like know exactly what part of that industry, like you're catering towards um so like we're like within the effective computer market we're doing more like a speech recognition analysis um and it doesn't exactly like say like before you buy the report it doesn't tell you like oh of the 300 billion dollars that this market is worth like only 10 percent of that is like towards speech recognition or like maybe most of it is um i would probably say no i'd say Hardware is probably more expensive than software, so that's probably going to be the bigger chunk of it all together. Um, so at that point, it's I'm not sure like what's really worth it. Like as you said, like a lot of people buy these market reports, spend thousands of dollars on them, and then it's like, okay, I've I've learned nothing from this. Just give me a couple of numbers that um, I really don't know what to do. And it's just kind of telling me stuff that I already know from, because I'm in the market. I talk to the customers. I talk to advisors and investors. I already know what's going on here. And all you're just telling me is the same stuff I already know. So um, so you're probably going to be able to find out more from the market from actually talking with people in the market and talking with as many people as possible. And with a small team of us of just five people, like Tyler, you're the only one who really like sells to anybody you're the only one who's really out there talking to people um you're really not going to get enough uh cover enough ground there so that's where sales people really is important it's not so much just as important just you know make sales like that's a huge part of it but it's also just building relationships building like alliances too because it's not just about you know you buy this from that person you sell this to that person it's all about making friends in the market too of uh, working together of uh marketing together that's probably like the more that's what i'm like uh, aware of anyways that's what we've been doing by marketing with other uh, uh other companies but there's also different uh, things you can do like you're trading your services at like a discounted prices and uh maybe you're you know giving um like a tip like hey you should go after this person i think they'd really love to work with you it's all just um very incestuous lots of nepotism going on there i'm sure 
depends on the market too. I'm sure uh, when you're getting into banking, there's probably a bit more, yeah, you gotta know somebody, but like when it's like a new market, uh, it seems like with psychedelics, it seems all very friendly. As long as we're all friends, we're all doing our part and keeping the ship afloat here. We're all fighting the good fight, then we're all gonna work together well. But there's a lot of markets out there where it's like, yeah, you got to, it's like a prison gang. You have to join the club if you wanna be protected. It's a optimistic outlook, Lauren. I love it. <laughs> One of the things that stuck out to me is what you talked about is like how much money in the effective computing market is going into autonomous vehicles, hmm. like, and just vehicles in general, like basically, uh, and a lot of it is actually computer vision based. So not necessarily speech recognition, but it's basically, I know a camera in your computer detecting or a camera in your car detecting if you're looking sleepy or you know based on the how stressed your face is modifying like literally the air conditioning the lights the colors the music like it's really interesting to see again you know sort of does align with this thesis of like personalized environments that are going to be generated these companies are investing big money into that and that's what you're going to run into with like enterprise contracts right you you could have massive long sales cycle year long plus or like you'd have to wait for a contract you know, you, you'd have to wait for annual budgets to come out and time that directly. And so the, the, the investor that we talked about talked about the complexity of that and then your need for enterprise sales reps who are capable, experienced, and, you know, have, have done this before. Those people are expensive as hell too. I pic picture the people in Silicon Valley who are like, you know, kind of thing. So I also just wonder, Anil, like just your thoughts too, but like, you know, when you're scaling... You know, if you're trying to get to that number, you look at scale, like, you know, the scale of how, how can you reach things scaled? Like then your system needs to be fully sort of scalable. So like, how does, where are the breakdowns in our current technology that are blocking that? One is that we have this added service of human transcription. So you have this sort of like multi-side marketplace where you need to fulfill things. And if you don't have enough people, then you can't service the clients. And then I think, again, it's that probably that security layer. But when I look at like, how could we, drive as much growth as possible. The biggest growth channel that we've seen with people we net don't know is the organic search. And like, when I look at, okay, if we need to get to a hundred million dollars, we're going to give you X dollars to try to get there. That's the channel that I look at most as well as supplementing that with outbound sales reps, but just, you know, interested in your thoughts or when you look at that, you know, number, that goal, how does it change what you're thinking about what, yeah, what we're doing? or how you would change your marketing or just those focus points. And you talked about a little bit that last week, which like focusing or doubling down on channels that are actually working. So just to clarify, so you're basically saying, let's say we got X amount of dollars to put towards marketing initiatives. Like how would that affect how we approach kind of that kind of end target yes. of let's say a hundred, hundred mil. Interesting. So I think once there's funding within a um, marketing engine, the fun fun thing and the cool thing about getting money is you're able to ideally uh, experiment a lot more uh, and you're able to dedicate resources to multiple buckets, right? So I, I think we talked about it last week, but 
you know, let, let's say right now we know for a fact that organic is our main growth engine. So let, let's say we have like 3 million that goes towards marketing, right? So we're like 50% of that is going to go towards our organic initiatives, right? Whether that's hiring writers, hiring um, people to write guides for us, right? Um, doing backlink building, uh, organic outreach, stuff like that. And then the other 50% is dedicated to uh, between, you know, your paid channels, maybe your unconventional growth channels, whether that's through subscriptions, uh, not subscription sponsorships, whether that's through um, community building, right? Like maybe it's PR. Uh, and figuring all that out is, is de definitely going to be a challenge of just uh, like human capital as well, where how, how much can, how much are we bottlenecked by our team size, for instance, right? Because yeah. to, to Lauren's point earlier about like our sales outreach at this point, it's, it's essentially you, right? Yeah, I'm <laughs> pretty bad at it, to be honest. I need some more work. <laughs> but, but you're bad at it mainly because you're, I, I feel like sometimes your, your focus, once again, is, is split, right? So in, instead of you dedicating your time full-time to, or, you know, 80% to outreach and sales and 20% to, let's say marketing or finances, like the other parts of the business. Right now, I almost feel like it's like 25% all the way through, depending on the week, right? Like some, some weeks, maybe you'll have put more focus in certain areas or other weeks you have no choice, but to, you know, dive down into like customer success, let's say. Uh, and so, so that, that, that in a way would also feed into our marketing outcomes and growth outcomes. Cause at the end of the day, like marketing and sales outcomes are, going to be closely tied together, right? Because marketing can bring in all the leads, you know, like let's say we're super successful, I bring in like 2 million leads, right? but if sales can only convert 1% of those, we have a problem, right? Uh, and figuring out how, how we can build out systems that hopefully at some point run themselves with just oversight right? Where we have people doing tasks and helping us achieve goals while we're just looking like forward, forward looking, um, and building on a system that allows us to do that. I think will be super, super important for long-term sustainable growth. When you look at it, if you had a, if you had a, if you were in charge of this company, mm -hmm. um, what, what, what would you, what do you, what, avenue do you like better or is it a mix of it or like but like when you look at enterprise versus you know the self-serve model mm -hmm. how do you how do you think about that especially in terms of marketing and acquisition it, it's it's interesting because speaking to lauren's point earlier about customer psychology and the price people are willing to pay to solve a problem right? it's uh so yesterday on like product hunt i uh, sent vessel this link to a when you look at it, it's it's a product that I've 100% thought about in the past, and they built it. So essentially, it's uh, they convert your newsletters into uh, a Kindle-friendly format and automatically send newsletters as they come in to your Kindle, right? So, and the service costs five to ten bucks a month, right? So very niche niche offering, very almost individual need-based offering, but it's a low enough cost where 
I was like for five bucks a month. Yeah, I'd pay that to like have my newsletters on my Kindle. Right. Um, and, and so when it comes to consumer side offerings, I feel like that's that's where the benefit lies, where if your price, if the price is right, right, you, let's say we, we got people for five bucks a month, right? Like people were willing to pay $5 a month to use our system, right? Would that be more conducive to, once again, volume? So we get 100,000 users at five bucks a month, or is it more sustainable and scalable to aim for you know, 50,000 users at $15 a month, right? And, and which, which one helps us um, manage things on the technical side better, as well as just uh, from a business perspective? Like what's more sustainable relying on 50,000 customers or relying on like 100,000 customers, right? Even if they're paying a lower, lower volume um, and figuring out those solutions. Laura, any thoughts about that? Well, you just got to think about like how many users are even potentially out there mm-hmm. in the whole world. If, uh, if the whole goal of just doing it through software is to get to 50 to 100,000 paying users every single month, and it's like, well, who are they? Where are they? Are they using someone else? Do we have to steal them away from Otter mm-hmm. or Rev or something? Do we, are they just, they don't even know that there's a solution out there. They don't know how to get a hold of us. We don't know how to get a hold of them. It's um, It's a lot of guesswork. It's a lot mm-hmm. of It'd be nice if there was reports out there that just flat out say, hey, there's this many people that want this. That's all you need to know, really, when you're trying to sell something. It's like, okay, I just need to know how to get to them and get money from them, pretty much. Um, so I don't know. At that point, too, you have to, like, because there's no way that, I, like, all the people who need, like, uh, transcription services don't have a transcriber. You have to find out, like, who they're going to. And like how you can innovate on top of that person, how you can be better than them. And uh, yeah, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. I agree. And so one of the things that I've seen, I mean, we've talked about it as a team many times, so like it just gets links shared in Slack, but like with the change in the pandemic and everyone moving into Zoom, like I just remember the shift of before the pandemic, people were like, why are you doing this? Uh, you know what I mean? Like, well, this doesn't make any sense. And then as we shifted into the pandemic and everyone got into Zoom recordings and calls, then everyone started to see, like you started to see this proliferation of systems that hooked into Zoom, um, transcribed it, took clips, you know, shared those clips or, um, am I unstable? I apologize if I'm frozen here. Um, but <laughs> like, you know, and I can name off the rewatch fireflies grain, uh, I don't probably many more than that, that are systems that have somewhat of a similar offering to ours valuable. And have also taken on like any, even any clips started in 2006, they just got 47 million in capital. Uh, you know, so it's also like, okay, great. We know that these things are, you know, becoming more saturated and more competitive, and you really then have a decision to make on like where you spend that time, where you invest and like what things based on everything that you're seeing, can you truly differentiate on and create value? Something that's worth, if there are so many offerings and people are like all of us, pretty savvy searchers where they're looking for many different possible solutions and offerings that were creating something that strikes the nerve or actually hits something like, and again, just one example was like, people coming to us multiple times and saying, Hey, we want to do the transcription part, but then we're doing manual redaction. So can you automatically redact personal identifiable information from these transcripts? 
because we're doing it manually right now and none of the other systems do that. So if you can find little areas within this massive market that can create immense value for people, but you have to go very deep into that market to even figure out what those, those offerings are. Um, yeah, that's it. I think that's it. Anything else on this topic specifically? Like, I guess we sort of weave through it. I, one thing I talked about maybe in the past is just this idea. I love it. of like binary decision-making, which is like a hundred million dollars. If, if that's the goal, if that's the KPI, <laughs> I mean, first you have to break that down into much smaller goals, which is million, 5 million, 10 million, 25 million. Like you need to figure out that part first. But I just love that idea of like, am I, is this contributing to this? Yes or no. And if not, then you need to redirect your efforts or, or, or prioritize. And I think if you are aiming for big goals for that, you also have to drastically question and be harsh about it of like what you've done in the past and figure out what you need to, again, continue what you need to kill and what needs complete adaptation or pivoting to make those things come to life. Um, so, uh, I, I think it'll be interesting too, because at an early, earlier stage in a company, you're, you, you kind of have the freedom of everyone having almost like an equal voice. Uh, but I feel like at a certain point, there, there, there will come a point where you know, the decisions will have to be made for the most part, like a kind of top level decisions will have to be made by, you know, five to 10 people at, at the top, essentially, like, obviously, integrating feedback and uh, suggestions from uh, the rest of the team. But at a certain point, it really does become a, you know, if, if, if it's someone's job, just let them do it. <laughs> uh, and, you know, you, you almost criticize, not criticize, you, um, evaluate the the process and the outcome versus like during the course of the thing being built versus like at the very start right because I, I don't think for instance we, we have like lovely dis discussions about like let's say like dashboard designs and you know like uh things that are very important to us but realistically at a certain point well we probably won't be able to sit in on every one of those meetings and we won't be able to like oversee every single decision that's being made Right. Definitely. Yeah. And, and figuring out systems to manage that as well will be, will be an interesting challenge. It seems like just as fun. Yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> I'm tr trying to think anything else, but it's just, you know, again, it's interesting. Like you look at growth, like we're on, we're on pace already with contracts in place of having really great, great growth this year. And then you get, but you get into this thing where it's just like, it's not enough. Or if it's like a, you know, if you take on funding, it's like, we don't care if it's that much, we want you to, uh, we don't want you to make a dollar for five years in terms of profit. We just want you to scale top line revenue. Uh, and, and then, you know, you figure out some of these pieces. So I learned so much. Uh, I look forward to sharing more on these, on these lessons, uh, you know, that, that we get from some of these conversations and just in, in, in general. Um, Sorry, just, just as a feed, feed like feed off question, like how many, of these high like fast growth high growth companies do you think are profitable yeah. i look at one example one of my favorite companies in the world spotify not profitable you know what i mean burning mm. cash amazing company you know what i mean you would think they would be but they're not and uh so you know and i've had some very good friends who have been very successful in business from that you know standpoint of growth and you know like 
not profitable, but last year we had, you know, positive, you know, positive, you know, like net earnings. And I remember someone who was in a high growth XY combinator, like, like, wow, that sounds wonderful. And in a way it was wonderful, but at the same time, you know, you get in this cycle either way of always wanting more. And so uh, I can't give you the exact answer, but a lot of them not profitable, you know, and a lot of them is just like get growth, then figure out how to generate the revenue because of the way that we were set up, we had the sort of constraints the other way, which were, how can we build this system so that we can generate revenue? Because again, we could sink the company if we don't. Um, and I think that's a, a limitation. Like we did, we had that Y Combinator interview and I remember sitting there with Michael Siebel, Seibel, and um, he saw our limited thinking. You know what I mean? Like the way that he was looking at it is like, don't think, it, what, think of it as if money was not a thing to think about. Think about it as just the problem and growth as quick as possible. And, uh, you know, that was a really good learning lesson. And it was also replicated in that conversation that Lauren Batswan and I had with this investment uh, firm the other day where they're like, no, don't worry really about that. Just focus on on how you're going to do this. And the money's just going to keep coming. So, uh, and also some amazing threads on Twitter a couple of weeks ago or this week where I was talking about like a lot of people saying that the first 500k million was the hardest thing they've ever done in their life but after they raised a million dollars it was very easy to raise 20 million dollars so that was really interesting too i don't necessarily think any of that is easy but uh you know nice to hear that it, i guess it gets easier and my you know my i guess thought is like i i've always just wanted to have like a you know, i wanted to have a company that can grow f fast but be sustainable and also have a positive impact on the world and uh i guess that you know I would like that not to be something that stops, like, for example, having a positive impact stops the high growth or stops the sustainability. Like, you know, that, those, that triple bottom line, I guess, is a very hard thing to achieve. But in my still idealistic world, that's something that you can do. So, yeah. Good. Anything else? Okay. So we have one more topic. Nihal, do you want to set the stage for this? Uh, sure. So I was just reading this article uh, earlier about how Microsoft, I, I still don't quite understand it, but essentially they've gotten exclusive licensing rights to GPT-3. Um, uh, once again, don't understand how that works, considering that it's still open AI and other people can still build using GPT-3. But essentially they're building it into their... Uh, low code platform and trying to essentially implement uh, GPT-3, like GPT so understanding of human language, semantic, semantic search to build code for you, right? So you, you can ask it, like I think the example in this um, article was, I'm just gonna watch it real quick to remember, <laughs> but they, they ask the user, what would you like to do with your data? And the user basically asked, show me customers from the US whose subscription is expiring, right? Or is expired. And it basically generated a formula for them to find all those users within their database, which was just sick. I mean, really cool, really cool stuff. And I was wondering if there would be a way for us to implement GPT-3 into our system to 
uh, improve how people semantically search for content within their database, right? So if someone uploaded five text files, 10 videos, and like three audio recordings, and, th you know, they asked, like, how many times did I, um, did I talk about X company in the past month, right? Like, is, is that, is that potential there for us to really build a powerful, powerful, almost personal search engine for, for people to find, con uh, for knowledge recall, right? Uh, and, and what that would look like, how, like, does it even contribute to business goals and our growth, right? Is that a valuable feature at all? Um, and the second, the second idea would be on the marketing and writing side where you can use it for content creation, right? So you have your, your copy, CopySmith AI, your Jarvis, your copy AI, all conversion doing AI. conversion AI, right? Like do, doing all their, like just marketing copy and copy AI copywriting and integrating that into our system as well. I, I feel like has its uses, what those uses are. I haven't fleshed that out completely, but we've had some interesting conversations about how we can improve the marketing capabilities of our platform as well. And I feel like that would fit neatly into that bucket of uh, features. Okay, very interesting. Um, GPT-3, I believe is hosted on Azure. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Microsoft Azure. And has been they've been a, a big funder of that and driver of that, and yeah, it's you know built on the most. Well, apparently Google has a better one, but you know built on the most data points uh, ever for a language model. And you know I would say the example that you gave for querying in that part's actually like we could accomplish that now with speak without GPT three. The GPT three, like what I would look at is you know like what what you talked about, which is like language generation or also like very intelligent, uh, like summarization, for example, like what, you know, here's, you know, there's 50 recordings that I did in the last uh, month, um, you know, oh, they're all transcribed. Tell me a summary of last month. Give me a summary of what happened or like, you know, there's so much more that that understanding that it has can produce it's incredible and like the part you the example you gave is just saying like you know giving it a you're basically giving a, a command and that's all really i mean programming is in a way is you you putting the right input into generate a command and then you know and uh you know, Vatsal, uh when you know we made made a joke about uh you know replacing programmers and developers he said no <laughs> so i'm glad to hear that confidence in there but you know definitely very interesting especially from people who are you know, non-technical to be able to pick natural language, even speech to text or just a simple natural language, you know, just text into it for a command to generate code automatically. That uh, is a, a power that we have not really had in the past. And it's amazing the, the potential there. I think the other part that you talked about is the marketing generation piece. And like one of the things that, I don't know if you ever use these Nihal, but like I was a, maybe that's not a good thing to share, but there was a, there's like lots of like content rewriting machines before not like these systems came so like there were content re rewriter.com blah, blah, and it used some sort of like i forget the, the process that it used but it was using like it would take like a word so you would take a piece of content from a website paste it in and then it would find synonyms or like replace that sentence fragment 
and just, or even like switch the order around. And it was, I mean, sometimes it was good. Other times it was horrible. And a lot of companies and people, marketers use that to build like blog networks or just build like uh, like sort of low quality content to help drive search engine rankings. And I was a huge advocate of that. And there was definitely a part of Speak that wanted to integrate that technology. There's literally probably some APIs in Trello uh, at that, uh, with that part in there. Because I think you're right. The content generation part is a huge driver. We've seen Copy AI, they, in, you know, under a year, I believe I've gone to 1.2 million ARR because people are like, I don't want to write this over 100K a month or at least start to generate ideas. So I think there is a lot of power in content generation and then like the power of systems like that. And GPT-3 just opened a $100 million fund for companies that are using their technology. So they're investing in the growth of people who are plugged into that system. Ideally is yes. There's a lot of people on that wait list. It's also in our product log to have applied about eight months ago. So probably if we had applied eight months ago, we probably would have had access to it and started playing around with it. As today, we do not. And you know, if we were to then pl- apply now, want to make sure you're putting in something very compelling because there's more people who are, you know, turned on to this and looking at it. And of course, there's also the other part to consider, which is like a lot of people consider this system to be horrifying. Uh, you know, the fact that it can replicate almost a pure consciousness, the quality of content that it can generate, and the fact that we're moving into a world where content that we're interfacing and reading with is generated completely by machines and we don't know the difference. So I guess when you talk about the impact or ethical parts of the work that you're doing, there is somewhat of a consideration here. And Elon Musk would have famously left OpenAI because he said he didn't like the possibilities of what were coming from the, the work that they were doing. Then he went and did Neuralink, but uh, you know that's a different different topic. So, Lauren, I don't know yeah. if you have anything. They're not aiming high enough. We got to go deeper here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I want to go into your brain instead. Um, I don't know, Lauren. You're a writer, so like any you know, any thoughts? I guess on this or technology. Yeah, just would love to hear what you think. Uh, sure. Like I've even heard about uh, they have uh, like algorithms to paint a portrait now too, which uh, to it, it makes sense and it doesn't make sense. Because like, if you think about like for most uh, design work, you would think it's all just, you know, tastes and whatnot. But if you'd like go into like the history of art and shit like that, they're always talking about like, oh, there's uh, there's algorithms, there's uh, dimensions, there's all these different uh, uh, rules of numbers and uh, placement and it's all important for design work. And uh, that makes even more sense for uh, just writing something. Like if it's like a work of fiction, if it's like, uh, some sort of speech or whatever you're writing it uh, makes total sense that it's all just uh, very objective um, especially when it's like you're getting into machine learning where it's just like things building on top of each other um, like everybody can like read like Shakespeare and most people agree like this is really good so uh, you just like layer Shakespeare on top of Shakespeare and then eventually you're going to get an algorithm putting out stuff that's you know as good as Shakespeare that we can all agree on um and as far as like if that's good or bad um I don't know it frees up a lot more time to enjoy life as opposed to work I'm sure people enjoy you know writing and drawing or even coding too um is I don't know maybe uh maybe it opens up a new spectrum of work that we're not able to get to just because we're doing other stuff that needs to get done um as far as like actually incorporating this stuff into speak to um i think it's probably a bit too complicated at the moment 
uh, for what we're doing. Um, especially like what I'm just thinking about is like, so you like, you'll say a prompt and like the whole machine will decide to put together code for you. And uh, what happens if the code's not right? What if it's broken? How are you supposed to debug that? Do you just make another prompt like saying, hey, that's wrong. And then it's just going to magically go in there. Well, not magically. I'm sure there's some sort of process to go in there and debug itself and do it all over again. So I feel like there's still going to be um, some level of expertise going to that. You're probably going to have to do a prompt, look at the code, understand the code, maybe like tweak it yourself. You probably have to have uh, some under standing of how code works to begin with before you can really use it and um, maybe someday it'll be relevant to what we're doing it's just a matter of what's faster what's cheaper to type it in get your thing or ask for you know it's just uh, populated by itself and um, that's the thing with like uh, Elon Musk saying about all the automatic driving too it's like it doesn't have to be perfect it just has to be better than you know standard driving it just has to be a little bit better than all we're doing now and uh, I don't know how good it is compared to like what we do now but uh yeah, it's a potential that we don't have to work which is nice but it's also not I don't know it's a whole new it's unexplored territory for all of humanity we've never had to not work before to survive I would say like the I guess the part that you know the the more simple integration like one of the things you talk about is like uh like if you say, hey, um, you know, uh, Alexa or hey, Google Assistant, like um, do this, you can say that phrase in many different ways and it still captures the meaning and intent of it and gives you the response that you're looking for. So at a very simple level, that would be, you know, it's like, hey, uh, speak, tell me every time that I was, uh, you know, uh, sad uh, in, in the last month. And it wouldn't just look for the word sad. It would find all the intent and meaning around that and give you the output instead of the very rudimentary search where we're doing right now sometimes, which is just sad, the word sad specifically. So like there's a, a pretty, I guess that not, that's not simple, but it's, it would really inc improve the potential and accuracy of recall of the system. And then just lastly, my part I thought, which you touched on, which is, I mean, two parts maybe, but like the music, like same thing with music, music is so formulaic. Uh, like one of my favorite uh, things was like the uh, four chord song where this like, you know, I don't know if you've seen that. Yeah. The comedy group plays all the songs that had the same four chords and it's like every song you've ever heard. So it's actually much more formulaic than we think. Um, very interesting stuff. And then lastly was like the, the, that image generation part that you're talking about too. I have a deep fascination with this where you can just say something and it will generate that image, completely net new image. Like the one, the famous one right now is some sort of like av avocado chair. And it's like a chair that's an avocado and it just generate that in real time based off the input that you said. So I think there's a, a layer of creativity that this can induce and also just like personalization and probably what you're talking about Lauren too, where a lot of things that like it's really going to blur what we consider art and uh, original. Uh, you know, we're headed into a, a, a quite a future here. So um, we're at almost that time. I, 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 is there anything else that you guys want to touch on that, or any last points as we uh, as we close this out? Um, where's the rest of the team? What's going on here? There, it's hard at work. Everyone, you know what? I like it. I like it. I said I will continue to show up here every day at twelve p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And will uh, I will rant for an hour if uh, necessary to keep the streak alive, but you know the fact that uh, you know 
teams prioritizing things. I know Tim's hard at development right now, and I, I mean, probably again hear it a little bit through the mic, but Vatsel's banging away on a keyboard uh, right now. So that means that there's something good happening. Uh, we do good this way, they do good that way, uh, and it all works out. But uh, again, I'm appreciative of you, you guys showing up and spending some time chatting about these topics. Anything else? It was fun. Anything yeah. else from you? Uh, none. No, not nothing off the top of my head. I think it, it, like it, it, it will be interesting to just see, um, like you know, just as a reminder, we we do have our free trial uh, switch coming up, so it, it'll be an interesting two weeks uh, to to kind of close out that process and see what the next month or so looks like. I had, I had some fear for a bit that we weren't going to get there, but Tim, Tim looks like he's making great progress today, mm -hmm. which is awesome to see. And definitely some emails and some things going out. And, uh, you know, I do take heart because yeah, as we mentioned, we've been switching from a freemium to a free trial, which is part of this push to figure out where we're producing value. And people are continuing to sign up for the application, seeing, not seeing an option that there's a free option. So we're not really fully fleshed out in that execution yet, but that's at least a positive indicator. And actually the signups have accelerated. Um, so I, I can't complain yet. It's just now if they do log in, um, you know, what happens when it's a blocker there that says, Hey, sorry, you, you got to pay for this now. And, uh, and also just the first onboarding experience that we talked with sort of this triage page to create that first trigger. And then there's also the upside, which is that people can get some free time to upload something um, too. So hopefully we can actually create a better uh, experience there. I got some emails to send out next week um, to remind people. Uh, so that'll be lots of fun. Uh, Lauren, you're off mute. Any other things? No, I'm good. I have not stuff to talk about, but probably shouldn't. Uh dispel that to the general public okay wow uh very uh um curious one okay well we can talk about <laughs> we can talk about that after okay well this was uh I, I think i'm good this was this was a ton of fun we actually only did two topics today which is a lot less sometimes we stream many things so this was this was fun to actually give some time to talk about this and look forward to sharing more as always and appreciate anyone who watches and listens to this uh thank you so much for joining no problem have a good one